All right, well, today we're going to continue with our <clears throat> culture series. And so let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I just, just ask that your presence just continue to be with us, Lord. Be ready our hearts and our minds to just receive of your word so we can grow more into your likeness. Pray that you just give me the words to say, the ability to just convey this information by your spirit. And that it would go into good soil, Lord. It would go into good soil. And the thorns and the things of the world would not come up and take it away. Especially a sermon like this one. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, if we can go to the, uh, the first slide and maybe turn down my mic a little bit, unless I'm not as loud as I think I am. Okay. So the first slide here, uh, what we have is uh, our continuation of our series on the culture of heaven, looking at the various aspects of culture and looking at what they have to say about us and really what, how, what and how heavenly would, heaven would look at those elements of culture. And so today what we're doing here is we're looking at the culture of media. I think anyone who is, you know, doesn't have their head in the sand uh, knows that media has such a powerful influence uh, on us and on culture. It actually is probably the most difficult one because culture, or if rather media, is really the vehicle that, that conveys all the rest of the culture aspect. Information, the news, TV, newspapers, internet, all of that actually is the vehicle that conveys and brings forth every single other piece of culture that we've been talking about. So I felt like really good like uh, preaching about this. When I just got up here, I just felt like a little like oomph. And so that usually means that like when I feel a little oomph, a little wall, a little blockage, uh, that usually means that, yeah, you're preaching on what you're supposed to be preaching on. <laughs> this is a big one. This is, this is the vehicle that brings all the rest, right? Um, so we take a look at this. Media... Is it created to inform or, in fact, to distract you? Uh, and so that's the title of the message. And so we begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 7.35. <clears throat> says, and I kind of feel cool because I, I, I kind of feel like Paul speaking here is, is really kind of my heart in all of it. I am saying this. Like the this, what Paul's talking about is one thing. The this, which I am saying, is this message. Okay? I am saying this today, the sermon for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Okay? Uh, now, this is pretty intense, actually, because if you take a look at 1 Corinthians, I wrestled with this when I was younger. It's all about marriage. Actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, this scripture verse is going forth because Paul is talking to young men who are not married and young women who are not married and saying, I'm saying this so it wouldn't be a distraction. Don't get married if you can. He actually says that in 1 Corinthians 7. It's going to be a distraction in serving the gospel, but hey, if you do want to get married, it's good and it's holy and it's good in the sight of the Lord. But by the way, there's going to be some distraction there. It's, it's, it's right. Anyone who's married or in a relationship, you know, uh, that, you know, it keeps you from doing some things that you could be doing for the kingdom. And that is a reality. And Paul is actually commenting on that. 
So I wrestled that when I was a kid. Like, oh, should I get married? Should I not get married? All this kind of stuff. And I was, I was a head case. A head case with it. I'm telling you, if you really want to sit down and talk about it sometime, I'll, I'll sit down. T- I, I was a head case with it. And finally, some brothers in the Lord just came alongside of me. And were like, brother, you know, if you have the desire to get married, it's a good thing before the Lord. And so, be free, right? Be free and do it. But the heart of Paul here is talking about the element of distraction. There are distractions that come forward. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 8 talks about being a double-minded man. If you don't have faith to believe, you can be double-minded, right? And you're confused. Essentially, double-mindedness is an, is an example of distraction. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 18 says a little bit more eloquently, the parable of the sower. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and becomes unfruitful. Essentially, what's going on here is you got the cares of the world, a deceit of riches, and desire for other things. And there's a parable, essentially, of distraction. A lot of people who receive the gospel message, receive anointings from the Lord, it is a seed that is planted in good soil, and it starts to grow, and then all these other things of the world starts to entrap it so it can't bloom into what it's called to be. And so... I'm sitting here, you know, in my basement going before the Lord. I'm like, I don't really think I'm distracted by riches. I don't know. Maybe my wife will say differently or some of my buddies may say differently. But I'm like, I kind of kind of like the quest of wealth kind of subdued. Um, I don't think I really have a lack of faith. I mean, I guess there's some challenges that we all get like pressed up against. Like, do you have faith for this seemingly impossible thing? I mean, we all have that. But generally speaking, I feel like I'm pretty like believing on the word of the Lord kind of guy. Uh, But then I was like, oh, wait, that's right. Mark says, not just cares of the world and not just the deceit of riches, but the desire for all other things. Desire for other things. I was like, oh, man, is there a desire for other things that I'm not thinking is wealth, I'm not thinking about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, we we all kind of have that. Because the desire for other things essentially is a possible distraction in your life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to go to the next slide. Um, I'm quite excited about this stuff. Uh, There's a school of thought of understanding called media ecology. Uh, It's about how human beings interact with media. Uh, Some of them are very passionate about it. I was actually thinking if I ever went back to school, that's something that I would uh, study at a higher level. Um, And some of them, I I just find it tremendously interesting. Uh, And if you're that interested, maybe on the website we could put up Josh Wisely's uh, podcast. I guess some people hear about my passion about this kind of crazy topic, uh, and they've invited me, two separate characters, uh, one in the United States uh, and also a guy in the United Kingdom to come on their, um, their radio program, which is essentially a podcast, an internet-based one, to discuss the effects of media on modern society. Um, and it's, it's, it's a cool conversation. Um, so maybe we'll post that up there if you guys would be interested to take this like, to the next level. Uh, but here's just a little taste of some of the things that we could talk about. Um, so, you know, media, books. What we have here, a book on the left is uh, George Orwell's 1984. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. Maybe you read it in high school, maybe not. It's all good. But essentially, the book 1984 was actually written a long time ago, pre-World War II, I believe. Uh, and the book is talking about, like, a future society where the government is a big brother. 
It's like a totalitarian, authoritarian, tyranny kind of government that monitors everything you do and tells you what you can do, tell you what you can't do. They actually outlaw certain books. Like if you think of like tyranny and big government and like the fear of them controlling you, this is in this book, 1984. Okay? And everyone was like, yup, that's the way it's going to go down one day in Europe and in America. The government's going to get so big that they're going to take away your rights. They're not going to allow you to be a believer. They're not going to let you read the Bible. Like people were talking about this for a long time. Uh, and 1984 came and went. And it was like, oh, okay, things are still kind of the way they are. Okay, good. But at about the same time, actually a little earlier, there was a, uh, a British man by the name of Aldous Huxley who wrote another book on a similar kind of concept. It's known as A Brave New World. And what he says is, you know what, forget about this Big Brother stuff. Forget about the government that's going to take away your right to read and read the Bible and all this kind of stuff. He envisioned a future society, not like Orwell. Orwell believed that essentially what we hate will one day destroy us. Big government control. It's going to destroy our society one day. Huxley, in his book, says, you know what? It's not going to be what, what we hate that destroys us. It will be what we love that will destroy us. And he envisions a future where people are so enraptured by seeking pleasure and seeking their own desires that there would be no need for the government to regulate. There would be no need for the government to say, don't read your Bible. Because no one would because they'd be so raptured in pleasing the self it's very coy it's very interesting it's not that the that the powers that be are going to control you it's that they're going to give you pleasure and desire and you will seek that pleasure and desire to the place where you wake up one day and you're like i am essentially controlled by the by the pleasure it's a very interesting kind of take uh, and so if we can actually uh watch that video uh, I'll try to explain it a little bit, but I think it would be a good way to just explain what I just said to you in another way.
Right, thank you guys. So, if uh, no matter what your age is here, you, we should be listening. But I'm telling you, if you're under the age of 40, you have to really listen. Because what will be the status of the church in 40 years? What will be the status of society in 40 years if things like this are in fact true? What is Huxley saying? He's saying that technology will produce a society where we will live a trivial culture. We will not be suppressed by a lack of knowledge, but that we will be inundated with a sea of useless knowledge. We will be hit with so much information that we wouldn't even be able to make sense out of it because we would not know what is true and what is false. Not what we hate would control us, but in fact, we would be so enraptured by our ego and our pleasure and our love of these devices and of these things. That there would be no one left to think, to question. It's 2017. And you can just, everyone's like, oh yeah, those kids in their Facebook, those kids in their Snapchat, those kids in those text messaging, when you sit down at a table and all this kind of stuff. Look, I am telling you, if something big doesn't change, in 20 years from now, we would be begging to be back to where we're at now. Can you imagine the, the rate in which technology is going today, what it's going to be like in 20 years? <laughs> in 20 years, I mean, like 50 years ago, they're like, oh, the dang TV. I wish we could only have the TV and that's where we'd be spending our time, right? It is so rapidly changing, it's unbelievable. Let's take a look at some of the stats. How do you feel when you misplaced your phone? 73% uh, of people who misplaced their phone that were uh, surveyed panicked. 14% felt desperate, 7% felt physically sick, and 6% felt actually relieved that they have lost their phone. Next slide, if you don't mind. Next one here. Uh, I'm sorry, you have to go back to. Uh, you might have skipped over one. I think there's another one in there, a bar chart. There we go. Uh, America's growing smartphone addiction. I mean, you can see it based upon age. Everyone's talking about this. This isn't new stuff for you guys. 18 to 29, 51% of people uh, who are considered essentially millennials uh, will check their phone a few times an hour. But 22% will check every couple minutes. 30 to 49-year-olds, 47%. You see the 50 to 64 goes down to 33. 65 plus 11, all adults 41. Essentially what we see here is what's going on. Essentially when you're brought up in this type of thinking, it becomes a part of you. And so if you're older, you remember the days when you weren't connected to this stuff as much and you're able to put it away. But for those of us who have been brought up with it, it has become a part of us. And it's harder to put it away, okay? That's just, that's like such a, that's like, you know, everyone's heard this kind of stuff, you know? But really, if we get to that next slide, is kind of the punchline, right? 
Uh, Corey Ten Boom uh, was someone who, uh, as a Christian lady, who survived the Holocaust. Uh, and she hid some Jewish people. Uh, because of that, she was sentenced to death, but she was actually able to survive. Uh, and she says this, you know, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Right? So, I always thought that was the most sinister and coy plan of the enemy. Like Americans, you know, we're good people. We, we even love God, and where we love Jesus, or we're even born again, or we're even spirit-filled. It's like, oh man, this is great, right? But what comes alongside to come up against that is busyness. If you're busy, you don't have to be bad in the devil's eyes. You're busy, you're not going to Wawa and sharing the gospel, right? You're not telling people, look, hey, it's Christmas time. Why don't you come out to my church on Christmas Eve? Like, you're just busy. You're busy, you're busy, busy. Uh, and essentially, fine, we can all be busy, but what I'm telling you is that there's a level of distraction uh, that has been displayed through our culture, which is unprecedented in human history. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. And it's only going to get... It's only going to get worse, okay? Because that's the way technology works, okay? So what is media anyway? Media is a device or information that reaches or influences people and or culture. That's what media is. It could be a phone, which is an actual device. It could be the news. It could be TV. It could be all this kind of stuff. But it's something that informs us and influences us. And if we can go to the next slide, here's a little bit more of a... a, a a thing of media. Uh, media is a powerful force that conveys information. To truly understand media, one needs to understand its place in our culture. Media does not, uh, sorry, media does more than convey information. It completely changes our perception of reality. Changes our perception of reality. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, next slide. Media, the news, TV, all of it, uh, it really dictates to us what we believe to be true, what we believe to be real, and it actually influences what truly matters in our lives. You think about what you think is important, I can almost guarantee it, you got it from media. Some form of media. What's true, what is real, what truly matters? Uh, is the news that's on TV actually true? Well, it could very well be. You believe it is. I, I mean, we can get really sophisticated with this. I'm telling you, I've studied this inside and out. The way that the news operates, it's, it's a whole gamut. I mean, what's the purpose of the news? If you say give you information, that's a lie. The purpose of the news is to get ratings, to get money for the CEO, right? How do you get money through a news program? It's pretty boring to watch the news. So what do you have to do? You have to make it more entertaining. So you make it more entertaining. How do you do that? By glamorizing, by sensationalizing, and making the headlines even bigger, by doing all this kind of stuff. You get frustrated watching TV because the advertisement gets in the way of the show. The corporation gets upset because they want you to watch the advertisement and the TV gets in the way of the show. They don't get paid because of the program. They get paid because if the program does well, they get paid more money via advertisement. So what happens here is we look to the news not for information anymore, but for, rather for affirmation. You go to the news program that's going to tell you what you already believe and what you feel to be true, and it's going to make you feel better, and you're affirmed in your opinion. Opposed to watching the other side of the news that you don't like to get more information to determine what is true and what is not. So the news today is not for information, it's for affirmation, because affirmation brings pleasure, and pleasure brings in more people watching the news, which allows you to watch more advertisements, which has the big corporations get paid more money. That's essentially media ecology. Jesus says there will be rumors of war. Yes. Do not believe them. He said it. 
The news purposely gets you anxious and gets you unsettled. So you look to them for an answer. Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. They will talk. They will say all this kind of stuff. They're going to say that this is going to happen. This is going to say. The only thing that's going to happen is the word of God. That is what we know to be true. And that is what we know to be real. And that's what we know to truly matter. But I'm telling you that we have such a sense of seeking pleasure that the pleasure takes us away from those things which are true and real and really matter. Amen? So let's take a little look at this throughout history a bit. We can go to the next slide. So here are three mega, mega, um, historically influential sitcoms. Okay, uh, top left, we have Leave it to Beaver, right? Anyone remember that? I remember that, Nick at Night. We actually watched that in my uh, social studies class when we get to the 1950s, again, like an understanding, right? Leave it to Beaver. Uh, and you're like, oh, this is great. I mean, so what, what, the, the, the TV show, the media, what did it do, right? So... It's very entertaining, it's very cool, it's very wholesome, it's very good. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I would feel totally safe having my girls watch Leave it to Beaver and be like, it's going to be okay. And it's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But on a little some more subversive, subliminal way, um, look, this is what it teaches you to be, this is what a family is. What if your family is not like the Ward family? Or it's not the Ward, it's the Cleavers, the Cleavers. What if your family is, in fact, what if you're a 1950s family? Or you're a 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, even today, you watch that and you watch it and you're like, but my family is not like that. My mom has to work, but that idealistic family, the mother doesn't have to work, or you're from a broken home. What does it say to you about your Value and your experience, it can very well in a subliminal, subversive way teach you something. That you're less than. That you're less than. Your family doesn't look that way. Now, this, this is like a very pure, innocent TV show, for crying out loud. I mean, this is like, really? Leave it to Beaver? It's totally wholesome. It's totally wholesome. But fine, just, you know, go a couple decades later. And so at the top right, one of the most influential TV shows that have ever existed is this show, Friends. Oh, have you raised hands? But a lot of us know it, and a lot of us have watched it. I've, I've seen episodes. <laughs> what, what, did, what did Friends do? The, uh, Friends in the, in the 90s essentially uh, created an element of information of this is the epitome of adulthood. Don't take this for granted. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. No, you're a 20-something-year-old. Deep down at the subconscious, subliminal level, it's teaching you this is what it means to be an adult. Carry on. Live your life seeking sexual promiscuity with other people, right? Uh, it's totally cool to have absolutely no responsibility in your 30s. Forget about what it means to be a man or what it means to be a female or the seeking out of, of, of families. Uh, it teaches you things like, yeah, you can, in fact, be 30-something, spend your weekends, you know, partying it up. Oh, and have, like, a little job at a coffee shop and still afford a, uh, an apartment in New York City. <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, you work at your little coffee shop and get a couple of friends together and go live in, a, in an apartment in New York City. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Sure. Okay? But it teaches, essentially, the epitome of adulthood, that adulthood and what is end-all, be-all is your friends, drinking coffee... 
seeking out pleasure from the other sex and acting like children. And you're like, oh, how come kids act the way they do today? Because you as parents had your television raise up your kid. That's why. I deal with it every day as a school teacher. When you place your kid in front of Sesame Street because it's so educational, you're also teaching them something else. You're teaching them that education is entertainment. And the only way you can learn is if you're entertained, if your pleasure devices are set forth. So every year that I teach, I have to entertain more. I can do more of a pony show than I ever have before just to keep the kids involved. Now, I'm not necessarily bashing Sesame Street. It's a very good thing to educate in that way. But if that is their connection to education, education is entertainment now. That's what it is, especially when you're, you know, dealing with a two-year-old. You know, my, my wife's kind of smirking at me because, you know, we put on the TV and watch a movie every once in a while with the kids. More than she would like, my wife. Okay? Next one uh, is one that I'm working on right now. Uh, it might be actually a future podcast with my buddy Josh. Uh, the Big Bang Theory. Maybe you haven't seen it, maybe you haven't. But I'm telling you, if you just Google this phrase, emasculation of the modern male emasculation of the modern male, you're going to get some of the un most unbelievable stuff out there. Something I believe is happening. All right? There's an argument that our culture now is emasculating men, making them not men, teaching them not to be men. So Big Bang Theory is one of the biggest uh, TV shows on TV. If you look at most movies today and most sitcoms, there is a pattern. The pattern is this. The man is a boy. He's a man boy. He needs a woman to wash his clothes. He needs a woman to show him how to get through life. He's usually 20s or in his 30s. He plays video games. He has no real responsibilities. He looks like a buffoon. He has no responsibilities. He doesn't know how to properly engage and converse with a female. And then usually what happens is the female from across the hall will come by and teach them how to go through life. Essentially that men just need like moms and maybe they can have sex with them and maybe get married if, if they're lucky. That's pretty much what quote unquote lucky, you get what I'm saying, right? That's the purpose of the, of the sitcom. And I'm not knocking out, I've watched uh, several episodes of Bing Bang Theory, it's quite funny. It's, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty funny show. Uh, but what I'm saying here is like, I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm just saying look at the subtleties of how these shows can dictate to culture and information how to live a life. And there's plenty of men now that are living their lives this way. Plenty. What happened to manhood? When did a boy become a man now in our society? So the TV shows are either a reflection of what's happening in culture or they push the cultural agenda. Uh, and if, you know, we can really have a, a ball game with this, but, you know, one of Satan's plans is to keep you busy. The other thing is to destroy family. The quickest way to destroy family is, is have a man not know what it means to be a man. Not knowing how to be a priest of the home, not how to lead, not how to bring home some money to, to pay the bills. Like this, this is like, you know, all the women are like, amen, man. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's both sides of a coin, right? What does it mean to be female? What does it mean to look to your husband to lead? Ouch. You mean I have to submit to my husband? Well, biblically, yes. Now, you come together as a union but you do have an element of submission, and the husband has love, of course. But, you know, we can poke fun at the men, but if we want to flip on the other side, how, are, how is society teaching females to be? Do they teach proper godly submission? Probably not. 
And do TV shows teach proper love of males to their women? Of course not. Of course not. This, this is the element of what's going on here, okay? All right, I didn't think I was talking about sitcoms so much, but okay. Next one. Yeah. Sticking in my heart. Because what we pray, you know, what worship was, was the love of God that doesn't change. Doesn't change. The love doesn't change its mind. Love doesn't fail. Love doesn't, it doesn't stop. Come on. Amen. But in culture, our culture, in sitcom, I mean, I hear this all the time, but I'm passionate about it because I see the damage it does in our relationships. Like, oh, <laughs> I just fell out of love with them. No, you were never in love because love never fails. Actually, a business leader. He said, "If we have a, a child in our family and they get a bad grade on a report card, do we kick them out of the family?" No. We, their performance has nothing to do with how much I love them. In fact, it makes a greater draw on my heart. That's the love of God. I can mess up a million times. He's never going to turn away from me. He, he's Amen. still drawing, wooing, hoping I would come and receive His love. That's He's never going to change. He's, in fact, it's so passionate, it draws an even greater, like it says, Paul says, like where there's sin, grace abounds all the more, because the heart of God is drawn to us. Yet in culture, our culture says, oh, you messed up, I'm done with you. Yeah. Right? And that starts to work into our mm. lives and we find that we start to respond to God that way. I can't understand why you would love me. Yeah. I'm not deserving of your love. Amen. Yeah, that's just so divisive, it's corrosive. Amen. Amen. We dressed the same today on purpose because we knew we knew that Alan was gonna was gonna do that. <laughs> so this notion of uh, media telling us what is true, what is real, what truly matters. The only way that it can do that is if it's pleasurable. And so the emotional component to that is this essence of pleasure. I mean, we get drawn to various media devices. It's not just TV. It's your phone. Uh, it's various forms of entertainment because the culture brings into the pleasure principle. And, and so essentially what we have here is the providing of the pleasure and the desire here. Because remember, what it says here in Mark is that all other things will be those things that trap you, right? It's not necessarily just the richness or the double-mindedness. Is that when the branch comes out, the thorns come around to distract. Distraction is a key element of, of the message today. Distraction comes in all different shapes or sizes. But media is one of the most pronounced ways to distract you from the goals and purposes of your life. And the only way they can do that is by manipulating an emotion, an emotion called desire, an emotion called pleasure. Pleasure is the key thing that Huxley was talking about. Let me go to that next slide here. What we have here is the pleasure center of the brain is the um, amygdala. And so what I mean by this is that literally inside of your brain, God fashioned and formed you to have a place of pleasure. Okay? It's there. He created it. Now, in psychiatry, there's a principle known as the pleasure principle. It's outlined by Freud. So I don't know if everyone agrees, modern psychologists agree totally with Freud, but... He, he has a, a principle known as the pleasure principle, which is that mankind has an intrinsic drive to seek pleasure and to avoid pain. Like we just have this desire to avoid pain. 
And so what happens here is, look, this is the root of so much. This is the root of so much. Uh, and before we get into the so much, let's read a couple of scripture verses so we can, we can gain an understanding here. Uh, Proverbs 21, verse 17 says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. 2 Timothy 3, 2. It says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Pleasure. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Like in the future, this is the way it's going to be. People are going to be seeking their pleasures, right? Uh, whew, okay. So I'm like going to the Lord with all this kind of stuff. I'm like, God, but like you made my brain, right? He made your brain. He made it with an amygdala. He made it with a pleasure center. So it's not my fault, right? To be distracted. But here's what I'm getting at here. It's this pleasure principle is why pornography is rampant in the church and rampant in society. This pressure principle is why 30% of Americans born today are, are, are really in a bad, healthy place because of a seeking of pleasure in their choices. Um, but it's a God-given thing to, to, to have this kind of pleasure. Uh, but how we are feeling this pleasure is the problem. The culture is saying, here's the pleasure, to mask the pain. Go to the next slide. Uh, the book that some of us are reading right now, The Cure by John Lynch, says it is one thing to have a profound experience. It's quite another to kill a lie that served you as a long time, especially a lie you've used to cope. Anyone who's gone through addiction uh, and recovery understands this principle. We develop lies in our lives in order to allow us to cope with them. And I'm telling you that there are lies that are prevalent in society today that just says, you know what? You're tired. You're going through a hard time. Just use this form of medium to give you pleasure to get through. That can be pornography. That can be food. That can be alcohol. That can be nicotine. And the one that's going to sting the most because it's socially accepted, it can be, in fact, entertainment. The TV, the news, the phone. And when you don't access that phone, you feel a panic that rises up. It's because that thing has been helping you cope. You're like, come on. No, this, this is what's happening. You're using the device to cope. To cope with belonging. Does someone like me? Did they text me? Where are they? They haven't responded yet. It's a coping mechanism. And it's one thing to have a profound experience with Jesus. And another thing to look at the lies that we've built up in our Christian walk and say, I've used it to cope. I'm telling you right now that there are many people who use the same pleasure principle in our walk with Jesus. Where we believe the lie that I, I, I am guilty before him. And the worship team can come on up. You believe the lie that you are shameful, that you're not good enough, and you just need to do this, that, the other thing in order to earn his love, like we were discussing last week. It has become a coping mechanism. 
because we can't come face to face with the truth. Uh, and the truth is, we have pain. We have pain. Most of us have pain. And there's multi-billion dollar industries that are created to remove that pain for you. But it's not a removal. It's just a masking until the next time. There is such pleasure in the entertainment field. Because it speaks to a, actually a very deep part of our brain. That pleasure principle, that pleasure place. Go to the next slide and closing up. If Mary, we can get a little music in the background. There's a way to unlock this pain, and maybe you don't think that you have pain. Look, when society spends 11 hours before a screen, that's the present average. 11 hours the average American spends in front of a computer screen, a television screen, a phone screen. 11 hours a day. I told you that the cultural series is going to hurt because it's, it's, it gets to the fiber of who we are. It gets to the bottom of our culture. Our culture is so, in so much pain that we've been addicted to devices and foods and ways of being to mask the pain and mask the discomfort of our lives. And it's hard giving that message. It's hard giving that message that you know, people are going to think that you're being judgmental. I'm not. I'm just I'm trying to expose the truth. And it's a hard place to be, man. It's a hard place to be. But I want to encourage you with this. There's a reality that there's a way to unlock the pain. There's a way to unlock the pain. I'm not going to judge the person that's watching pornography to judge the pain. I got my own pain that I got to deal with. I'm not going to judge the person that is, 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 is not exercising, is living a more lazy lifestyle physically because I got my own junk to deal with. It doesn't matter what you use to mask the pain. A lot of us are masking pain. But I'm telling you and I'm encouraging you, no matter what it is, and first thing is you have to come to the Father, come to the cross and say, what is it that I am using the mass of pain that I have. Let him reveal it to you. Some are easier to be seen, and so we judge those people a little bit more, but come on now. There are those dark things deep inside that no one else knows that you use. So many of us, including myself, use pleasure to hide the pain inside your soul. I've been exercising a lot. Sometimes too much in terms of running. You may say, oh, that's cool, that's good. No, there's pain that's inside of me. Pain of being a kid and being a little husky, as my mom said. A pain of, of being alone. Got green uncles, Dave's alone? What, he's got a beautiful wife, beautiful children. I know, but I don't 
have many friends. I never have. And as a man, you still want friends. Now I'm going to have buddies come and brother, I'm your friend. I know you're my friend, but we don't hang out. We don't hang out on a Thursday night. But I'm your friend, you can call me anytime, I know. But I'm saying the pain that I have is I need real intimate time with a brother. And so what's the masking the pain? Well, the time I could be spending with my brother, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to burn off all that energy. And I'm going to be by myself. But it's okay to be by yourself because you're, you're running. And you're supposed to run by yourself. No, in the spirit, you're not supposed to run by yourself. You're supposed to run with a brother. You're supposed to run with a sister. The physical teaches us the spiritual. And that's my pain. I've had tear sessions with my wife over. Ever since I was a boy, I was a weird kid. The Christians thought I was weird because... Well, I didn't put up a Christmas tree. He's that weird believer who, like, celebrates Hanukkah? What? That was the church. And the lost were like, God, you're one of those radical believers? Like, I was just, like, in this place of, like, no, like, no connection. That's my pain. But here's the thing. There's a way to unlock it. The pain. Rid yourself of the pain. I'm working through it. Some things I've been able to get over and, and, and heal. Not go over, but heal. And other things I haven't, like the one I just told you. He turned my morning into dancing. The pain, he's able to turn into joy. You want to unlock this pleasure principle. You want to unlock the entertainment-driven form of Christianity or of life. I'm telling you, go to the Father and say, Lord, expose the sin. Expose the pain and rid it of me. And you say, well, how the heck do you get rid of it? It's easy. It's the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When you're feeling pain, say, I'm not going to meditate on the pain. I'm going to meditate on only, only those things which are noble, true, virtuous, holy, good before God. I'm working through that. When I'm feeling a little lonely, I say, you know what? I'm a little lonely right now and maybe I'll reach out to a brother and try to be the change that I want to see in the world. Maybe I can do that. But in the process, what I'm going to do is I'm going to meditate not on my loneliness and on my pain. I'm going to meditate on those things which are virtuous and good. The word of God, salvation, the anointing of God, his love for me, his calling on all of our lives, that he is holy, that his name shall be made glorified in all of the earth. That there's a beginning and there's an end. The end is that he defeats Satan completely. That we are called to be priests and sons and daughters of the Most High God. And if you just keep doing that, you keep doing that, keep doing that, you train your brain to seek pleasure in other things. You train your brain, your amygdala, to say, I'm not going to focus on the entertainment. I'm going to focus on the pleasure of who he is. Of who he is. And if you can't get pleasure for who he is, you simply do not know who he is and who you are. The pleasure piece of this, 
You receive the appropriate pleasure when you come to terms with the reality that He is pleased with you. Let's say that again. You receive the appropriate pleasure when you come to terms with the reality that He is pleased with you. And I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When I go to those places of despair and I feel alone, He says, He shall never leave me. He's pleased with me. He bought me with a price. Philippians 4, I'm going to think about those things which are holy and those things that are good and those things that are righteous. So closing up today, the final slide. Media, TV, smartphones, internet, pornography, movies, all this kind of stuff is trying to teach you what they want you to think is true and those things which they want you to think is real and those things which they want to tell you truly matters. But I'm telling you, it is now more important and more of a life or death situation that in the 21st century that we do not allow those things to come into the pleasure center of our brain. People are, are quick to point out pornography on the internet, but they are not quick to point out the incessant need to seek out information, the incessant need to feel connected and belong with other people. The root of the sin is the same. The root of the sin is a lack of true godly pleasure before him. What is true? What is true is that you were born with a purpose. Born in a destiny. To call upon the name of Jesus. To bring forth the kingdom of life onto this earth. That is what's true. What is real? What is real is not a reality TV show on TV. What is real is you. And your life. Bringing the kingdom to earth. This is what truly matters. Allow that to be our pleasure. Allow that to be our song. Father, I repent before you. Someone who is connected to movies and someone who is connected to devices and someone who is connected to simply hiding the pleasure by going for long runs in the woods because I'm alone. I repent before you. And I say, Father, you need to be the epicenter of all pleasure. Did not King David say, one thing that I ask, one thing I ask is not to get a large following on, friend, on, on Facebook. One thing I ask, one thing I ask is not to get the latest TV show. One thing I ask is not to have a whole bunch of friends. He did not say that. What he says, one thing I ask is to behold the beauty of God and to acquire of Him in His temple. Father, I come before you and I say that has not been my ultimate heart's intent. It has not been the place of pleasure inside of my soul. But Father, I come before you and I say, I want to live out the name that my mother has given me, David, one who says, one thing I ask is to behold your beauty 
and to seek the pleasure in my identity of who you are and who I am in you. Identity and pleasure and love by the pure, spotless lamb of God. So Father, I pray against addiction in this place. Yes, addiction of drugs. Yes, addiction of alcohol. But come on now. I'm praying against the addiction of seeking pleasure from those things that come and go. Yes, in a weird sense, some of us get pleasure from being anxious and depressed. You're like, how can that be? No, a part of you, there is a comfort and a coping in that. I'm praying against that. Yeah, I'm praying against pornography, but I'm also praying against those people who are just looking to numb their pain in other ways. We speak against the lie, the lie of coping. The lie of if I just plug in that device, if I just hit play, if I just read that book, I can be swept away and my pleasure can be filled. We pray against distraction. That we would be a people with single focus and single purpose. To see the lost on this side of eternity bend their knees and cry out to the loving Father and says, I accept, I receive the goodness. Ah, Father, I pray right now that there would be ancient wells that would just be redug inside of us. That there would be the old ancient wells, the old ancient wells of life. Seeking pleasure from our first love. Oh, Jesus, I just pray right now to have repentance to fall in this room. A spirit of repentance if we've replaced our first love with a gadget. A first first love with working more and hiding ourselves and our self-worth in a career and a job. Oh, Father, call upon the children. Call upon the beloved. Call upon the bride to come back to the first love again. Come back to the first love again. To sense your pleasure. To know that you are pleasing in your eyes, O Father. That is a pleasure. That yes, comes you back wanting for more. But it's also a pleasure that never leaves you. Did he not say, I will give you bread, bread of life that will cause you to hunger no more. I will give you water that will cause you never to be thirsty again. So we call upon that. Mm. Bread. Bread of life. Living water. To sustain us. To please us. So much that all the other stuff (laughs) couldn't find a way in. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hmm. Just encourage you guys to, as always, just give it a moment in worship for this message just kind of sit inside of you please come down and we will pray for you if anything during this message has touched you and hit you or even if you're just like nah I just need prayer just want prayer come on down 
We want to just pray over you that, that you would just be filled with pleasure from Him. Pleasure from Him that just dries up every other source of pleasure in your life. It wouldn't need to be there. Amen? Pastor Ramon actually has something to share. So. Hallelujah. I just, the uh, Lord has been uh, dealing with me uh, in regards of me uh, uh, every so often chasing after pleasure from me. Amen. And uh, he showed me that, I um, can't remember the scripture, but I know it's in Psalms, where it says that in his right hand there lies pleasure in his right hand. So my mm. prayer has been, Lord, slap me with your right hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, slap me with your right hand. When I feel the need to uh, uh, fill a void or to cope, I find myself now asking the Lord to slap me with his right hand. And I get in his presence and I just say, God, I'm pleased with just being here in your presence. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So I encourage all of you right there is a good word. That's a good word. So have a wonderful week. Feel free to just stay in the presence if you like. We have some refreshments and community building, I would like to call it. Community building downstairs. Have a wonderful week.